There is an entity that permeates every aspect of our existence. Into every moment of history, it is altogether real, certain, constant. Yet, you can't see it, hear it, touch it, and tangible, but we feel it, the way it radiates out into the pulse of our daily lives. Its impact is everywhere. It shows up in physics, the amount of energy transferred over a unit of time. It's revealed in the incandescence of the light, electrical current moving from source to ball. It's demonstrated at the sporting event, when an athlete sends a ball crashing through a net. But it also wields its authority elsewhere, in the advances of armies as they pursue conquest. It fuels the verdicts of rulers, governments, and courts as they seek to make a way of life normal in society. It's unleashed in the storm of revolution, layered in the rhetoric of tyrants who assert their will over others. Its abuse fuels the cries of the marginalized, spurring on both protests and rebellions. It is wielded by all, from the rich and powerful to a small child taking their first step. It has the capacity to take objects, people, ideas, concepts, beliefs, ethics, and history from here to there. Its name is power. Power, defined as capacity or ability. When we act in power, we make a difference. We make a change. Entangled in every area of life, power goes by many names. Authority, control, force, strength, rule, energy, influence, leadership. Power crashes into every sphere of our life, reminding us of what we already know, that power is unavoidable. So that begs the question, what are we to make of power? How should we think of it? In what ways are we designed to wield it? Should we? We've seen the good that has been done by our ability to act, the progress and advancement that has come about because of the exercise of power. But we equally know that for its unlimited potential to create order, beauty, and growth. The possibilities of its dark side are just as vivid. The same power found in nuclear reactors, a power that's stable, efficient, and capable of sustaining life for many, provides the fuel of nuclear warheads that decimate cities and eradicates all living things. For all these reasons and more, our relationship with power must be examined and explored. Does it exist to be freely unleashed in a visceral demonstration of our control, our rights, our desires, our raw power? Is the end game to vanquish others in a pursuit of authority, dominance, and greatness? Or is power intended for something else entirely? A gift given by an all-powerful creator, a generative and sustaining ability we possess to bring order, beauty, thriving, and life to the world? Which vision of power will move us from here to there? Awesome. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Woos. Okay. I like it. Well, if we've never met before, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I help with Give It Away, which is sharing the story and message of Jesus to our world and to our community. So if we've never met before, we'd love to meet with you. I'll be hanging out in the cafe afterwards. And uh, I'm excited about today, uh, kind of. <laughs> we have an interesting topic uh, going before us. And so um, if you didn't understand through the uh, video there, we've been in a series on power, okay? And this has been a fun series. And so if you have missed any of this series, 
I would encourage you to definitely go back and check it out. And so, because today uh, is actually the last week of this series. This is the last week of the Power Series. And what we've been basically doing is talking about power, going over various types of power, uh, biblically, theologically, and hopefully like contextually and practically, how to wield it, how to yield to it, and things like that. And so today, we're going to go over something called the principalities, okay? Powers and principalities of this world. Sound good? Okay, sounds interesting. So to start, let me ask you a kind of rhetorical question, okay? And so that question is this. Some of you may or may not know the answer, um, but the rhetorical question is, who is in control of this world right now, like today? Who's in control of this world, okay? And so uh, the, the Sunday school answer might be Jesus, uh, Jesus is in control of this world, but is that actually what Jesus himself even said? Okay, so there's something intriguing there. So here, check this out. In John 14, verse 30 to 31, Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. It's interesting. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And I'm just like, hey, let's just take Jesus' words and let's just rise and, and leave now uh, because this is a crazy topic. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, we should just follow him. But this is interesting. He says the ruler of this world is coming, okay? And then even more interestingly, let's look at Matthew 4. There's other places, but Matthew 4, this is uh, some, some dialogue happens between uh, Jesus and Satan or the devil um, in, in the desert as he's being tempted. And so Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Interesting. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. And so, interesting, not only does the devil seem to think that he is in control of uh, and ruling this world and the kingdoms of this world, but Jesus doesn't seem to disagree or even argue or combat that statement either. And so Jesus just says, go away, I'm going to serve the Lord, uh, the Father, like the scriptures tells me to. And so we got something really interesting to think through there as we talk about the powers and principalities of this world. There's a really good book, and I'll mention several as we go on, and I'll give you a list at the end, but there's a really good book on powers of darkness and principalities in the, in the letters of Paul. And so I, I love this quote, and it has to talk about what we're just talking about here. He says this, Satan, or the devil, is the god of this age. While God is ultimately sovereign, since he is the creator of everything that exists, Satan has been allowed to exercise a great amount of evil activity on the earth. John recorded Jesus calling attention to the devil's present authority by describing him as the prince, or if you want to get Greek with it, the archon of this world. While Satan's authority is not absolute, neither is it trifling. He wields all kinds of destructive influence over all levels of life and exerts his greatest hostility against God's redemptive purpose in and through the Lord Jesus Christ." That's a lot to take in, okay? And so this is a phenomenal book, by the way. Maybe read it with a friend. It's kind of intense. Um, but it talks about the powers and principalities in a way that, honestly, there's just too much to say on the topic. We're not going to get to everything. You're probably going to have more questions um, than answers uh, this weekend. But nonetheless, and basically, there's, here's what we need to know, that there are real, legit 
powers and rulers going on in an actual unseen spiritual realm. Okay, the way that we like to categorize this is by calling it spiritual warfare. And so you might have heard of that term, spiritual warfare. And so one way we categorize it is through that. And what is spiritual warfare? It's the things that are going on that we can't see, but that angels and demons, which are fallen angels, Satan, are very much involved in, and yet it somehow affects us, maybe even physically and definitely spiritually in those realities. So what do we do with all of that, okay? And so what I want to do with all of that is I want to talk about how the principalities and the world kind of mesh, okay? So what's up with the principalities and the world? Um, what's going on with the principalities and those that are followers of Jesus? What's going on with the principalities and the powers of this world and those that don't follow Jesus or unbelievers? And then we'll talk about how to un- overcome these principles, uh, principalities, the powers and principalities of this world, okay? Make sense? You got it? Y'all ready? Okay, this will be fun. So let's do this then. Um, check this out. 1 John five nineteen says that we know that we are children of God. This is what the Bible has to say about the world. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Okay? It's kind of, it just seems so like nonchalant and casual. It's like, oh yeah, we all know this. Like, the world just ruled by this evil thing, this evil one. It's like, man, that's intense. That's like a pretty big statement to be casual about. But that's the reality. And that's the biblical reality that the Bible is sharing with us. That the world is under the power or rule of the Satan and demons in an unseen spiritual realm that really exists and has real authority and power over our world in ways that actually affect us in everyday life. And so this is why theologians or people that um, study the scriptures and make commentaries and things like that would call this or say something that, to the effect of this is Jesus' kingdom is here, but not yet. Okay, so Jesus is reigning and ruling, and he will reign and rule when he comes back. Okay, got all that? Got that theology down? Let me give you a potentially helpful, possibly more confusing um, analogy, okay? And so I thought about different analogies. There's like a World War II analogy we can go with. We can go with an analogy from Narnia, but I don't know if you've all read Narnia or watched the videos, so I'm going to go with a different analogy. And I think I feel pretty good about this because Pastor Seth, he talked about sports for 15 minutes last week, so I feel pretty good about talking a minute about board games, okay? And so there we go. We'll hit another uh, aspect of the church here, all right? So think about it this way, okay, I have four kids, okay, and maybe you have kids, maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you've played board games with a child before, anybody? Okay, so, um, and I'm talking like Catan and Carcassonne and games like this, okay, and so I already know what's going to happen when I sit down and play these games with my kids. I'm winning, okay, and I'm not letting them win, I, it's just, it's a fact, I'm going to win, okay? And so this is building character into your kids, okay? And so you just got to do this. And I'm a little competitive, I guess. But, but I still play the game, okay? I still entertain the idea of playing this game with my kids, right? But I know for a fact that I'm going to win. Although the analogy does break down. Uh, like a couple weeks ago, my one son, he did beat me in, in Blockus. So I'll humbly admit to that. And the analogy breaks down a bit. But the point is that I'm trying to make is this. Is Jesus the king? Yes, he is. Is he reigning and ruling? Yes, he is. But he will when he comes back as well. There is something right now ruling and reigning in our world. It's very interesting, and we don't talk much about that. Okay, so here's a good question to ask then. If the Satan or fallen angels are ruling this world, then how 
do they rule this world? What does that actually look like? What exactly are they ruling? And so I want to think that one way that we can look at this is through the world systems. Okay, so through the world systems. What are the world systems? They are essentially this, society, culture, mankind in general, trying to function without God and therefore choosing a way of life that is contrary to the way of Jesus and the biblical way of life. Okay, so therefore, this unseen realm, the, these, the Satan, fallen angels, demons, they have influence over, name your system. Okay, name your system. Uh, world religions, education, government, uh, entertainment, maybe especially, and so on. And so real quick, some of you might be thinking at this point, like rolling your eyes, like, oh, here we go. And others might be thinking like, oh, here we go. Like, let's go. And so before you activate conspiracy theorist mode on me, okay, or completely disregard everything I'm saying, let's just think of it this way. Let's not overemphasize the topic, but also let's not underemphasize the topic of the world systems and the powers and principalities of the world, okay? Try to find that middle ground. Make sense? And before we get too weird or think that I'm being super hyper-reactive, as if the devil is in everything, every detail, just waiting to pounce, Here's some facts about what we know about Satan, okay? So Satan is not on par with God. He is not what some would say is omnipresent or present in all all places like God. He is not all-powerful like we say that God is. He is not God's opposite in those ways. He is a created lesser being. And we don't even know his name, by the way. All of those titles that we have for him are titles, not names. All of it means is that this thing, this, this person, he is the adversary, so it's kind of even a diss in itself that we don't know the name. We just have titles of this person. That's why it's called the Satan or the adversary or the liar or things like that. And so there's a lot of implications to this reality. But here are just two implications of the reality that the powers and principalities are over the world. So world systems influenced by the powers and principalities turn God's beautiful creation into idolatry and hostility. So what tends to happen is this. What happens is that we tend to worship the created over the creator. We tend to worship the things that have been created over the one who has created everything. So we love the things that God has made, but we are largely unimpressed with the one who made it all. This is what happens. This is how those powers infect or uh, affect our world systems in these ways. And so we see this in James 4.4, for example. Uh, This isn't a good thing. (laughs) You adulterous people, the Bible would say. Do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's some strong language about what's going on there. Second, world systems influenced by the powers and principalities turn relationships with other image bearers as secondary, secondary to any other desires that we might have. So what happens is that we tend to Desire the things of this world over the people in this world. Have you found yourself in this position? I have. And so what happens is that we'll use and we'll hurt people to get what we want. We'll use other image bearers of Christ, other humans, to get the things that we desire instead. Okay, There might be a power behind all of that. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not the love of the Father. We need to love people. And so there's just so much more that we can probably go through on this topic 
And I would encourage you to check out Bible Project. There's a quick video on uh, spiritual beings. And so uh, watch all of that, and it'll get weird, and it'll get great. And so you should check it out. But here's the thing. The problem, and really the mission, if I'm honest, of all of this is that we have to be in this world. Okay, we get to be in this world. Okay, we're, we're called to not love the world, but we obviously are in and part of the world. And not only that, but the fact is that we are actually sent into the world, John 17 says. And furthermore, Jesus has and will overcome this world anyways. We know the victory. We know what's going to happen. And so we shouldn't be so hyper-reactive to the world systems. We should just know what can oftentimes be behind them. And again, we'll, we'll want to kind of attack people or we'll, we'll view people as the problem. But maybe not so much. We're called to love people, not this world. Our, our fight isn't against flesh and blood, as we'll see in the, in, in the scriptures that we'll be in in a little bit. So, since we have to be in the world, and we are in fact sent into the world, what does the principalities and the powers then mean for those that are followers of Jesus? What does it mean for those that are followers of Jesus? And this is where we'll be in our main text for today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out, Ephesians 6. I'll have it on the screen a bit, but I like to read from a real Bible, so I'll have that out. So we'll be in Ephesians 6, and as you make your way there, this is kind of a fairly famous passage in Christian circles. It's that armor of God passage, okay, that may be very familiar to some of you. But whether it's familiar to you or not, I want to view this passage, let's view this passage in light of the context we were just given about powers and principalities of this world, okay? And we'll see what followers of Jesus ought to do and ought to um, put on in a world that is ruled by an adversary in an unseen spiritual realm. Okay, we're going to pick up in verse 10. So verses 10 to 11, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's the thing. We love to do things in our own power on our own timing and with our own abilities. And a lot of times we should use those things. We should, but not in this scenario, not when it comes to spiritual warfare. We need God's mighty power. How else do you fight against something that you don't see, that you can't see? The thing is, the thing that we can do is we can put on God's power, and that's what we're called to do. And, and what you'll see that Paul continuously says is that we can stand we can stand in his victory. We can stand in his power against the devil's schemes. The devil, by the way, in Genesis is called crafty and cunning. He's scheming, okay? He's got schemes. And we actually know a lot of those schemes. He's not doing anything different over the years. He kind of has the same schemes that he goes and does all the time. And so we'll address some of those as we talk through the armor of God. So in verse 12, it'll continue to say, Paul will say, verse 12 to 13, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Okay, our struggle our struggle here could also be translated as the things that we wrestle with, or quite literally, it's talking about like hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? And we're not, it's not always against physical, material things of this world. It's against the spiritual realm. 
the, the unmaterial things, the rulers and authorities of and the powers and principalities of this world. For example, talking about the people thing again, we love to get mad at people. <laughs> well, maybe we don't love to, but when there's something bad going on, we name a person to it and we get mad at people and we get mad at each other and we hurt each other. And Paul is saying that, that there's some truth in, in, in people hurting you and harming you, but the truth is that there is often something behind all of that pain and hurt. There's something behind that distrust and that abuse and that situation. I like what Dennis McCallum says on this, another good book that I recommend, Satan and his, and his Kingdom. He says this in that particular passage that we're in. Paul's next point is that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. It's all too easy to mistake our real opponents, evil spirits, for their human agents. Combative roommates, disagreeable spouses, tempting members of the opposite sex, or deceptive religious leaders can be persuaded and manipulated by Satan to do what they do. Unless we see the world system for what it is, we will become hostile to people rather than the leader who has captured them. This would be a huge mistake, a mistake the church has made repeatedly throughout history and right up to the present day. Instead, we should cultivate compassion for people in the world and seek to release them from Satan's power. And I love this. Are we, that's a question for us. Are we cultivating compassion for the people in this world? Are we helping to release them from the powers of this world? Do we even think that way? Do, our, do we allow ourselves to think that way? Have you ever thought of that in that way before? And I think Paul knows that that's not really our default to think that way, which is why he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Therefore, put on God's power, God's mind, God's offensive weapons, and God's defensive armor, not our own that we typically like to put on. And so the wording stand is continually to be repeated again in this text as well. So since we know that evil is here and coming, and since we know now who our enemy is, not each other, but this unseen spiritual realm, we should even more be in God's power so that you can stand and withstand the evil schemes, the things that are coming your way, in my way. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's spiritual disciplines, like reading the Bible, like being in discipleship, praying, and so on. And those things, by the way, aren't just some throwaway comments that the church likes to make because they're supposed to be the right answers as we follow Jesus. We do them to prevent us from becoming weak. Honestly, when we become weak, when we don't engage in these things, we are more easily picked off by the very enemy that you cannot fight on your own. And if, and if this sounds weird to you, it is, okay? But, but this is truth. This is what we see in the scripture here. So then Paul will go on to say in verse 14 to 15, he'll say then, stand firm then. With what? With the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. One of my favorite sayings of the Bible is that, is that phrase there, stand firm, I love it. In fact, I've said it so much that my pastor gave me a Bible, the Bible that I always use when I preach, and he, and he got it inscribed right here, stand firm. So thank you, Pastor Tony, he knows me well, and this has been good. So why is that important? Well, because followers of Jesus are called to do it. We're called to stand firm. 
To stand firm in what? To stand firm in these things that Paul will talk about. The belt of truth. Okay, so real quick. I'm going to go through uh, these armors a bit that Paul is talking about, but not to the fullest extent that we could. We could spend a lot of time in Paul's view of the Old Testament, in Paul's view of Roman soldiers, and how we would have thought about all of that, and that stuff is fun and good. We just don't have time, okay? There's other sermons all over the world where you can get that, but, um, and that's probably fun to do, but for time's sake, we're just going to get real simple, because I think Paul is real simple, which is really nice, and so it's pretty simple. What is a belt important for? Why is it important? Because you can't be fighting with your pants down, right? You can't, okay? So that's embarrassing. You're exposed and you're vulnerable, okay? You gotta have a belt. And that's exactly what happens when we don't have truth holding us together. We become exposed to lies. We're vulnerable to attacks and lies and things, the schemes of the devil. Lies, by the way, lies are a huge scheme of the devil and is from the powers of this world. Truth is from God, which is why it's so important to put on God's power God's truth. Another fantastic book to look into on this topic is from John Mark Comer, and it's this book called Live No Lies. And he has a lot to say about this topic about lies, okay? And so in this chapter that I'm bringing up right here, he says that we are in a cultural moment of truth decay, where truth is no longer like accepted. Your truth is your truth and things like that. And so he'll go on to say, Jesus and the New Testament writers worked off this core conviction. Deception is tied to temptation, temptation to slavery to sin, And it's the truth that will set you free. Think about it. The devil can't make us do anything as followers of Jesus. We have to choose it. It, uh, To get us to choose evil, our enemy has to fool us into walking down a path other than the one Jesus laid down for us, thinking that it will lead us to happiness. His primary way of doing this is through illusion. One way to think about temptation is to see all temptation as the appeal to believe a lie, to believe an illusion about reality. And now we're getting to the core thesis of this book. Here it is again. The devil's primary stratagem to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires which are normalized in a sinful society. Did someone whistle? Because I agree with you. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot going on here. And there it is again. Even John Mark, he's talking about how the powers affect the world system and affect followers of Jesus. And so, and affecting the follower, or rather enticing followers of Jesus to believe in lies that are not from Jesus. So a good question for us to ask. What are the things that you're believing in? What way of life are you uh, ascribing to? What things are you doing that are not truth-filled, but are lies that you believed in along the way to make you do the things that you do and think the way that you think? Are they God's truth, or are they coming from something else? Are they lies? So, Paul says, the belt of truth, real important. He'll also say that the breastplate of righteousness is super important, or, or body armor, you can call it. And so, uh, what does this do? What is the body armor for? Well, it protects your vitals, right? It protects this area, protects your heart, protects your lungs, and so on. And so, I think what Paul is saying is pretty simple. We've got to watch our hearts. In all of this, we've got to watch our hearts. We've got to protect our hearts, And so one way to think about it is that the accuser, the adversary, whatever you want to call it, will take all the things that you've done wrong and make you feel worthless because of it. He'll make you feel worthless. Are you believing that lie? Well, in one sense, okay, it is true that we do bad things, okay? We're not perfect. We do wrongful things. But the truth is, for the follower of Jesus, we have God's righteousness, which means what? He has made us right before God. 
What about the thing that I did? Yeah, he made you right. Well, what about that one time? Yeah, God knows, and you're good. Not because you're good, but because God is good and you love him. So this doesn't mean that we act in our own power. Our own power says this, I can be good no matter what, and that's what is most important. No, God's power says, you try to be good, and it wasn't good enough. But the fact is that Jesus, he did come. He did die for you so that you can become righteous right before God, so that it can be attributed to you from God. The powers of this world want you to sit in your guilt and your shame and your sin. But Jesus' righteousness says, no, you stand in his victory over your guilt, sin, and shame. So what do we do? We call out to God in those times that we're feeling guilt and shame, and we ask for his righteousness. We stand in his victorious work and allow him to correct our hearts that we need to guard lest we believe in lies that are not true of us. So then Paul will talk about our feet, okay? Our feet need to be fitted with the readiness. Um, Basically, this could be translated into like putting your shoes on or probably more contextually, your Greek war sandals, okay? I said I wouldn't get into the fun stuff, but that's just fun to me. So your Greek war sandals, okay? So what's the importance of putting on the right shoes, all right? Well, in whatever you're doing, you don't wanna lose your footing, right? You don't wanna lose your footing. This is why you have different shoes for soccer, for football. This is all hypothetical. I'm told that this is true, right? Um, uh, I have skateboarded and snowboarded before, so I know you need different shoes for that, um, right? And so you, you need to have the right shoes for the right work. The footing you have must be good, okay? And so Paul is saying that the follower of Jesus needs to keep their footing in this spiritual warfare. The footing we must have, the shoes that we must put on, is what? It's the gospel, the story and message of Jesus. Are you fitted this way? Is that your firm foundation? Are you prepared? Are you losing your footing somewhere? Have you forgot about the gospel? Are you immersed in his gospel or something else? Are you immersed in knowing Jesus and making his story known to others? Or we're gonna lose our footing. We need that. Okay, Paul's gonna continue in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So now if that wasn't enough analogy for you, Paul says, I have some more, okay? So he says that we should take up the shield of faith. So question, what good is all of that armor we just talked about? What good is putting on all of that armor, God's armor, the truth, righteousness, the gospel, if we don't trust or believe in the one who provides it all. You can easily fool your friends who are more readily, uh, who more readily give you the benefit of the doubt, but you can't easily fool our enemies who are out to destroy you or find something to use against you. So that's why faith is important. That's why it's important to say, what is your faith in? What is it in for real? And one of the best ways that I understand faith, and it kind of goes along well with this armor war analogy, is that faith can be understood by the word allegiance. What do you put your allegiance into? Who do you put your allegiance into? Allegiance, by the way, is just a commitment and loyalty to something superior. By the very definition of God, God is that this ultimate superior being. And so the Bible is gonna say that the ultimate superior being is the God of the Bible, who is accessible through putting your allegiance in Jesus and him alone. And so faith is saying, even when I don't agree, Even when I have doubts, I'm going to trust. I'm going to follow 
Jesus and what he has to say unwaveringly. Pick up that shield, lest everything else doesn't even make sense. Whose power are we in? Are we in God's power? Whose allegiance are we given to? Is it Jesus? Paul's going to go on in verse 17 then. He's going to talk about this helmet. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, helmet of salvation. So, what is this? Well, what does a helmet do? It protects your head, okay? I said, Paul is really simple, super easy. It protects our heads, protects our minds. Maybe to think about it more deeply, it's uh, protecting our, our mental state, our morals, our, our knowledge of him, okay? It's the security in that we know who Jesus is. We actually can know him. We know Jesus. And so we are, what, what does it mean if we know Jesus? That means that we are adopted into his kingdom. That means that we're right before him. That means we have salvation. That means we are saved. We are forgiven. Bought at a price that we couldn't pay, but Jesus did. And so put that on. Protect that knowledge. Remind yourselves daily in the midst of your struggles that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in salvation. You are in right relationship with him. And so the things that you have done, will do, are doing, yeah, they could be bad, but you're in Christ. Follow after him. Protect our minds in all of that. And then he'll talk about the sword of the spirit. Okay, so this is cool, because now we're getting away from like defensive stuff, right, to offensive things, to offensive position. Everything so far has been defensive, but we do have a weapon, it says. We do have a weapon against the spiritual warfare, this, the powers and principalities of this world. And what is our primary weapon? Paul says it. It's the word of God. It is the word of God. You ever thought about that before? Picking up the sword, picking up the word of God. If we're going to attack lies, if we're going to attack the schemes and temptations of the devil, an invisible enemy, we need truth. Where do we find that truth? We find it in his word. We pick up this. Have you ever wondered why or what the result would have been in Genesis 3 forward if Adam and Eve would have called upon the word of God instead of taking the serpent's word and what they thought about the word as the final word and motive for their actions? So this is a common tactic of the powers and principalities of the world, to get you away from God's word any way that you can, to help you distort it, to devalue it. So what is keeping you away from the Bible? Why is it keeping you from the Bible? Is there some kind of lie that you are believing in about the Bible that you wouldn't pick up this thing as, to, as, as opposed to all of the things that we pick up and all the things that take our attention away from us? I was reminded, I was just talking to someone right before service here and talking about how powerful the sword really is, the word of God really is. And it reminded me of a story a couple weeks ago. Um, kids are great for evangelism, by the way. Um, they'll just run off and talk to people even if you don't want to, okay? And uh, it's socially awkward and it's great. And so one time my son, uh, we were at the park. He, he started talking to this older man sitting on a chair and he was doing Sudoku or something. Is that how you say it? Sudoku or something, okay? And so I was like, Oh, I gotta go talk to him. This is gonna be great. So I started talking to him, and I was just asking him about him, himself and his life. We were talking. It was really fun connecting with him. All of a sudden, uh, he got up like, "Oh, what do you do for work?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm a pastor." And things got weird after that. Okay. And so, um, he, you know, we, but he started talking about religion and how he was hurt by it and all this. But it was a really great conversation. It was going really good. And then I just felt compelled in my spirit to read the Word of God to him. And once I read the Word of God to him, 
he got hostile. It's interesting when you bring in the sword, when you bring in the word of God and how that changes things. Is there something behind that? Again, not to get too weird, but I think that there is, that there can be. So what do we do? Uh, Verse 18 to 20, Paul's gonna conclude and say this, and pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So finally, we are called to pray, to pray in the Spirit. When should we pray? Just all the time, as Paul says. Every and all and any occasion. What kind of prayer should we have? Just all of them, okay? All kinds of prayers. I don't know, I guess there's a ton of different prayers, and there are. And so pray all of those things, all of those ways. All of those kinds of prayers would be good. And so what is prayer? Prayer, it gives us a language and communication to God, and it gives us language and communication and even sometimes a weapon in the spiritual warfare. If you're struggling, what do you do? You talk to God. We talk to God about it. If you're, if you're doubting, what should you do? Talk to God about it. Listen to what he has to say. If your brother or sister in Christ is struggling, those who are the Lord's people, pray for them. Do we do that? Again, putting on God's power here is to be in prayer to him and for others. Not that we don't go to others ever, but where do we go first? Oftentimes at our church we say this, that prayer should be a first response and not a last resort. And so maybe as you're praying, maybe the Spirit's giving you a word of encouragement to somebody, and maybe you need to tell them that. Don't be embarrassed. They might need that. Are you praying for people? Are you talking to people about those things that God is sharing with you? This is why we challenge our people to pray for our three, okay? If you haven't heard that language before, we say, hey, is there three people that you, that you know, that you're in relationship with, or at least in proximity to, that don't know Jesus, that you desperately want them to know Jesus? Would you pray for them? Would you literally write their names down somewhere, okay? Who, who are those three? Are you praying for them? Do you need reminded? We have stickers, okay? You can put stickers anywhere, so... Maybe some places you shouldn't put them, but you can put stickers up. You can remind yourselves. We have a prayer and action guide for you as well. And so we would encourage you to pray for your three and pray like Paul did. He said, man, what did he say? He said that I may make the mystery of the gospel known because he's an ambassador. He saw himself that way. Do you see yourself that way? Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray that we would declare the gospel fearlessly as we should. So since we, have been, uh, since we have to be in this world and we are in fact sent into it, what does the principalities and powers mean then for those that don't follow Jesus, for those that might be called unbelievers? This is, there is something really to be said here about the powers and principalities over those that don't know Jesus. Think about those people, okay? Maybe you thought about your three already. Think about those people. That person might even be you here today or um, online if you're viewing. That might be you today. It might be your friend, it might be a family member, a coworker, those in your neighborhood or apartment complex, the grocery store worker that you see every week. The Bible's pretty clear in some things here. The Bible's pretty clear that those that do not know Jesus are possibly in the snare of the devil. This is just what the Bible says. That they're enslaved to the powers and principalities. That they're dead in their sin. That they're held captive and blinded 
so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. And there's more passages, and I'm not trying to be brash here. This is just what the scripture says, is the reality of our friends, our loved ones, those that do not know Jesus. And so a question for us is, quite honestly, how much do we actually care? How much are we willing to care? And this goes for unbelievers and for believers. Maybe you're, you're not a believer here and you're like, well, I don't care. This is all weird to me and I've never heard this before, okay? Well, stick with us, okay? But, and I would encourage you, if that's you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you think this is a little far-fetched and weird, what, what, what Jesus is gonna say to you is, hey, come and see, okay? He's not gonna invite you into believing a bunch of doctrine and theology. We'll get there. First, Jesus says, just come and see. Come and see that he is good. Follow him and see for yourself. If you are a follower of Jesus, do you remember what it was like when you came to know Jesus, and more so, before you came to know Jesus? Not that everything become, uh, became really awesome and great. There are still, we're st- still promised trials and struggles after coming to know Jesus, but take a pause for a moment. What was it like before? Do you recall this? being enslaved to these powers, dead in your sin, held captive and blinded to these things. See, we're called to care about those that don't know Jesus because they are held captive to the powers of this world. But before we get like a savior complex, remember what power we are to put on. God's power, not our own. We are to put on his truth, his righteousness, as opposed to our self-righteousness. His gospel, his word, and everything in prayer and to proclaim the truth fearlessly as we should so that some may come to know Jesus and fight against these strongholds in their lives. So what I'm not saying is go running to people and say, you're enslaved, you gotta get freed. That's gonna be real weird, and we shouldn't start there, okay? Maybe just pray about that, all right? That could work, I guess, but I'm not gonna recommend it, all right? Think about this. Otherwise, what good is all of that armor that we're putting on, all of God's armor, if we're not using it? If we're not actually using it, what good is that armor if we don't use it? Are we using it just for ourselves or is it for others also? How far will you go to fight for the person that you know is enslaved and dead in their sin? Wasn't Jesus kind and patient with you, loving to you and set you free? Well, to wrap up our time, I'll invite the band up and uh, let's just answer a bit of the question on how do we overcome the powers, okay? So we've talked about the powers in the world, the principalities and powers and the followers of Jesus, those that don't know Jesus. How do we overcome the principalities? Well, in one sense, uh, we don't, okay? What did Paul just get done saying? He's like, no, uh, we put on God's power, okay? All we can do is stand, stand in his victory that is already won. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, then comes the end, when Jesus, he, when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power in this world. It's his victory, he's won. In the end, Jesus will destroy the powers and reign. This is the victory that we stand in. Put on God's power, all of it, and you'll do well. You'll withstand the temptations of the enemy. For anyone who has never stood in that victory, it's offered to you. It's available to you. We aren't promised tomorrow. An actual enemy exists who is out to destroy you, but you're invited to stand in his victory. Put your allegiance into Jesus. If you need to think about that, fine. Ask questions, read up on it. Jesus, again, he even says, just come and follow me. Come and see, and you'll see that he's good. 
So in another sense, though, we can do something. We can put God's full armor on. All of those things we talked about, right? We can grow in our knowledge and truth uh, through biblical community, through the reading of his word, for checking out other books and classes that we even offer as a church, making prayer a discipline that we passionately follow. What's preventing you from those things? What's distracting you from those things? What lies are we believing in that's distorting our view of those things? Is your own power working or should you start putting on God's power instead? Overcoming the powers and principalities through first, not letting the powers trick you to thinking they don't exist either. Okay, one of the tactics of the enemy, of the Satan, is for us to just think that this whole thing doesn't even exist. That would be real beneficial to the powers and principalities of the world. If you just went on thinking that none of this was even in existence, that it was all just far-fetched storytelling. No, it's real. And we're to put on God's armor and continue in community to get equipped for these things. So this topic raises way more questions than we have answers to, and I just want to rec- recommend some reading to you, okay? And so these are, I think, the best things to do is to read the Bible, okay? So start there, okay? There's a lot to say about all this stuff, actually. Um, you might want to bring a friend along. It's going to get crazy, okay? One of my uh, seminary professors says that you should go where the, t- the Bible takes you, even if it's uncomfortable, and I think that's true, and it will. Uh, so this is kind of a spectrum on like easy to not so easy, okay? And the Bible is in, all, in between all of this, okay? But Live No Lies, I recommend that book. It's Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies to Sabotage Your Peace. Uh, the Flesh, the World, and the Devil are the three enemies that he'll talk about, which is just phenomenal, easy, good read. Satan and His Kingdom, what the Bible says and how it matters to you. It really has a lot to say about um, how Satan and his kingdom works. It's really uh, kind of like a a really good um, workbook to work through. Now we're going to start getting a little weird, okay? You might want to bring a friend along for these ones, honestly. Uh, Powers of Darkness, Principalities and Powers in Paul's Letter by Clinton Arnold. Um, I just read this book in the last couple weeks, and it's phenomenal. It's a shorter, well, short is relative. It's a shorter book, okay? But it's a really great book, okay? It's phenomenal, But uh, have your Bible in hand, maybe a friend with you. It'll get a little funky, okay? It's great. And then even more funky is this unseen realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. Really phenomenal book, really helpful. Get equipped. Think about these things, okay? And so, there we have it. Stuff is real. We have God's armor that we can put on. There are people held captive, and we should pray and put on God's armor for those things. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much that even though there is this truth and reality of a ruler of this world, God, that you love us, that you're still with us, that we know you have stand victorious in all of this because of your death on the cross, because you're raising from the dead in that moment. And God, we just say amen to that truth and that reality. And God, I just, yeah, Lord, I just, I'm so thankful that your scriptures, uh, your Bible, your word equips us for these things. Tells us to put on your armor, your power instead of our own because this fight is real, this unseen realm. And so lest we think that it's not and be tricked into something, God, we should just understand that reality. Not to blow it out of proportion, not to undermine it, but just to know that that's true and that's real. And now we are equipped with the things that we can do that we can stand with you and stand firm, that we have a good God who loves us and who has set us free from our our slavery to sin and death. And Lord, I hope that that compels us 
to see our friends and our family and our loved ones in the most empathetic way possible, to pray for them, to live life with them, to share the good news with others. God, would you empower us to do that? We love you and we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.